Man, it's so good to see all of you today here. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. I have not acted like the pastor recently because I haven't preached since July. Joe, I brought a series in August. Joe's our campus pastor. He did a wonderful job. We appreciate that so much. Good to be back with you. It's good to have you here. Summer is, is always a crazy time. You know, now summer's over. And kind of, for us, September starts fall. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it does. But, you know, normally in the summer, a church just kind of struggles. You know, the, the attendance is down a little bit. People are traveling on vacation. A lot of people did all that. It's Labor Day weekend. We got a lot of people traveling on vacation this weekend. But our summer numbers were fantastic. We just actually grew during the summer. And then last Sunday, uh, was the highest attended non-Easter Sunday the church has ever had. I mean, it was an amazing thing. And uh, we are, I know we're out of space. This service last week, the 945, there's 350 chairs given in here, basically. We had like 348 people in here. There was almost 311. It's crowded, I know that. And we are looking at, we are, we are, we're gonna build a building. People keep asking. We, we should hopefully turn the ground over any day. You know, we're just waiting. You know, we got to get some financing. You know, we're working with lenders. Troy, uh, our executive pastor, is dealing with lenders so we can get something, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks to get to the trustees, to get to the church. That's our plan. If that doesn't work, do you have a plan B? Well, you know, I know a bookie got a little money on the Cowboys doing the Super Bowl, but I don't know if that's going to work. It may. It may not. I'm not sure. I'm confident this year, but I'm confident every year. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a better bet, I guarantee you, than having the Broncos win the Super Bowl. I know that stuff. So, yeah. Aha. Yeah. Go ahead. So, um, you know, September, it's just, it's, we're starting a new series. And one of the fundamental teachings of our faith is that Jesus is going to come back. I mean, the Christian is to believe that. I mean, there's no, I don't know of anything within Christianity, any Orthodox, any real faith group that wouldn't believe in the second coming of Christ. And, and, it's, and, and we're going to deal with that. And, and, and I know it's, it's a subject that um, people have a lot of questions about. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Uh, I'm going to do the basics. I'm, I'm that kind of guy. It gets kind of complicated, and I'm not a complicated guy. I'm pretty simple. But here's what I tell people all the time. The only thing you need to really worry about is when Christ comes back, he's going to sort it all out and set everything straight. He really is. He's going to make everything work. And so the, the title of this series is called Sorted, The Return of Jesus and the End of It All. Because when he returns, everything as you know it's over, it ends. And he's going to sort everything out. He really is. And, and this message kind of sets up the other three messages. This message kind of is the one that sets up everything for the month. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to deal with the fact that, that he's coming uh, someday. But the first thing is let me say this to you about this whole series. This is what matters about the series and what I want you to get out of it. Is that one day Jesus will return and set all things right. One day Jesus will return and he will set all things right. That's an amazing thing to think about. He's going to come back and set all things right. And so as we think about that throughout this series, um, as I share, this, this message today is called, uh, He's Coming Sometime. It's going to be in Matthew chapter uh, 24. Um, and this basic message, what I, what I just want you to see from this message, just a really simple thing. It's not complicated. It's not much. It's just this. The issue isn't whether or not Jesus will return, but whether we are ready for his return. That's the issue. Are you ready? Are you going to be ready? When Christ returns. So that's what I'm going to look at. And I'm going to share a couple of things with you today. The first thing is I want to talk about is a big promise. There's this amazing promise made in Acts chapter 1. Now, um, I preached from Acts chapter 1 and 2 during the month of June and July. Uh, when I preached from chapter 1, I didn't cover the verse I'm actually covering uh, really today. But in, in, um, in, in Acts chapter 10, Jesus ascends into heaven. And the disciples are looking at him. And then the angels show up and say, verse 11, men of Galilee... Why are you staring into the sky? He will come from heaven just the way he went to heaven. 
<laughs> He's going to come back it's just the way he left. He came, he went up, it was visible, it was personal, it was historical, and it was, it was, a, it was an actual occurrence. He's going to come back the same way. It's going to be visible, personal, historical. He's coming. It's a pretty big promise. Where does this promise come from? Well, it comes from Jesus. I mean, it, it's cool to know sometimes that whenever you have a doubt about things, just go find it from Jesus. And if Jesus talks to you about something, go with him. And so today, we're, we're going to go with some things Jesus said. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, have, you know, they didn't write in chapters back then. We group them in chapters later on. But we have a teaching of Jesus called the Olivet Discourse because he was in the Mount of Olives and he taught it. But you have this, this section of scripture that deals with his coming back. Now, the, the thing about it for us, we struggle with the return of Christ for a couple of reasons. For one, we're 21st century Americans. I mean, we, we think and live differently. We really do than they did back then. I mean, we, we live in this time. We live in an age of technology. Uh, we think linearly. You know, we think about the details, what's going to happen from this point to the next. We, we tend to do that. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a detail guy except when I don't want them, you know. Like, when you tell me a story, I don't want the details. You just say, hey, this happened to me, and I'm pretty good at that point. You know, I don't need anything else. Some of you like to share it all. Okay, but don't feel the need to. I'm just saying that, you know. <laughs> But, you know, we, we tend, though, but, you know, in other things, like when I prepare a sermon, I'm going, all oh, the details. I, work, I go so many details. That's who we are. We want all the details. That's the way we think. We think in progression. And, and back in the biblical times, in, in that part of the world, they didn't think that way. They thought topically. They were concerned about topics. They didn't worry about getting all the sequencing correct. And, and the language they used oftentimes was different. I mean, for us... You know, we want very precise language. If you, if you say something, it needs to mean what it says. Even if you use an illustration or a colloquial saying, you've got to know what it means. Back then, things could just kind of ramble on a little bit. And when we think about the end times, and I've shared with you this before, we, we think of the end times as down the line. It's not now, it's whenever Jesus comes. People ask me all the time, do you think we're living in the end times? My answer is always the same, yes, but not the way you do. Because what the New Testament teaches is that we are in the end times. In fact, from the Old Testament and New Testament perspective, they saw the end as one event. When Jesus came, the end began. From the New Testament perspective, we're in the end times. There's a beginning, the first coming is Jesus. There's an end, the second coming of Jesus. That's how they write, that's how they think. We don't think that way. We don't think we're in the end. We think it's something down the line. There is something down the line. It's the end of the end. <laughs> and so we don't think the way they do. And you come to a passage like this, we're going to be in, and the language is what we call apocryphal language. The word apocrypha means to reveal something that's been hard to understand. It's a revealing language. You know, every kind of group has their own jargon, their own language to keep to themselves. You need to kind of understand it. Like if you hung around our staff, which I don't ever encourage you to do, it would be very disheartening and, uh, to do that. But if you hung around our staff, we have our own language. We have the things we say, we have insider jokes, we'll have comments, we'll have terminology, we have nicknames for each other, for some of you, which you really don't want to know, but we have these. And, and you would be, we'd have to explain it to you, but it's our language. And when we talk it, it's, it's like it reveals some things to us. That's what apocryphal language does. Because most of the time, when you wrote in an apocryphal way, it was kind of persecution. The great Jewish era of literature, apocryphal literature, was between 200 B.C. and 200 A.D. And we have two great books that reveal that. One in the old, one in the new. In the last half of the book of Daniel, which was written during the exile, um, there's a lot of language in that kind of begins the whole apocryphal movement. And its language is hard to understand, but it's written to people who are in exile. 
It's language they understand in Revelation. And I taught Revelation two years ago on a Friday night in July. It's in our archives. And one of the things I said to you is that you need to know what it said to those people back then. The reason you don't understand Revelation is because you don't live and you don't put yourself back in that day and age. That matters. The people who Jesus were talking to in chapter 24, it matters to them. And we need to understand that language. It's vivid. It's imagery. They were about to face persecution. We need to understand that apocryphal language is the flyover version. There's lots of details. And we, you know what we do as Americans? We get caught up in the details. But the details confuse us because all the details really do is point to the bigger picture. If you were flying over the southeastern part of the country, you'd fly over the Mississippi River. Or you could stand at the Mississippi River. It's massive. Two-thirds of all the rivers in America, streams, tributaries, whatever, end up in the Mississippi River. But when you're flying over the Mississippi, you're not trying to figure all that out. I wonder what river in Kentucky ended up here. You don't think about the details. You just think about the massiveness of us. And that's the way what we're going to see is we get caught up in the details. We miss the beauty of the flyover. The other thing you need to realize in this kind of language is that time gets compressed. These are real historical events but they compress the time. See, the first coming of Jesus was over here. We haven't even experienced it yet. There's about 2,000 years. So we think of them as being a long time apart, but in the New Testament, it just compresses into one moment, one movement. And, it's, and, and that's important to know because it's important to try to understand all this. Chapter 23 of Matthew. This is the last week before Jesus is crucified. He came into town on Sunday, Tuesday, Tuesday, of the week of the Passion, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple, and he walks out. He's walking out from the temple for the last time. He ain't going back, man. And he looks it over the city of Jerusalem, and he gives these, these just lament, and his heart breaks for the city, and he predicts the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, and he talks about that knowing they're going to be destroyed as the judgment of God for the rejection of him. And he walks away. In verse 1 of chapter 24, here's what we see. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. Jesus just said, the temple is going to be left desolate, the place is going to be destroyed. And the disciples are saying, um, Jesus, hang on a second. Have you seen the temple? It's magnificent. Oh, it was magnificent. This wasn't the temple Solomon built. That was destroyed in 587. It was magnificent. Another one was built circa right around 518. It was not much to look at. But in 20 BC, Herod the Great, that horrible, evil, wicked man, did one thing good. He helped remodel and redesign the temple. It took 84 years to do it. It wasn't finished till about 64 AD, six years before it was destroyed. But by the time of Jesus, when this was around about 30 AD, the temple was magnificent. It's huge. It was massive, massive stones. Some of those stones may have been 40 feet long, 100 tons. That's a lot of weight. That's, it just, you do the math, 100 tons times 2,000 pounds to a ton. I mean, you can just do the math, and when you've done it, let me know after the service, because I can't quite figure that out. But it's a lot. It's big. And Jesus says this to him in verse 2. He said, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. The term... Not one is, is a, there's a double negative in there. Double negatives are bad in English. I say this all the time. We don't do double negatives in English. It ain't good. But in, in Greek, it's really good. It's good. It means emphatic. He's emphasizing. They're all going to be, it's just going to be torn down. 
So they walk out to the Mount of Olives. And here's what we see in verse 3. Here's what we pick up. And they were at the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately. No one was around. And they were saying, and, and the word tell us is in the Greek. We don't know if they spoke Aramaic or Greek. Aramaic is a form of Hebrew. But it's written in Greek. Tell us is kind of an imperative. Jesus, you got to tell us this. And they asked three questions. It's important you get these three questions. Because what I'm going to preach to you today is Jesus answering these three questions. Okay? It's not Jesus looking to us 2,000 years later to give us some insight. He's answering three questions to them in language that is apocryphal, in language that is cryptic, in language that will compress time together. Here are the three questions. When will these things happen? Number one, in other words, when will the temple be destroyed in Jerusalem? Number two, and what will the sign of your coming? The sign is what points to you coming back. The word coming in the Greek, parousia or parousia, depending on how you pronounce it, becomes a technical term for the second coming. They all believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but as the Messiah, what they believe is that he was going to come and destroy the Romans and establish Jerusalem as the holy city with the temple. And he's saying, you're going to destroy, the city's going to be destroyed and the temple's going to be destroyed. Well, what are you going to do about it? When are you going to come? And then the third question is this, and what's the end of the age? What are the signs that the age has come to an end? The word end means to completion. What's the, how are we going to know these things? Three questions. Some take the second, third together, and you can do that. He begins to answer that. And before I get to the verses that I'm going to mention in a minute, let me give you some insight how he answers it. In verse 4 through 14, he begins to answer. He's going to answer them historically, but with the language that I explained to you. And he begins in verse 4 through 14 by saying, there are going to be a lot of signs that people are going to say, point to my return, don't listen to them, they're not. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, hey, I'm the Messiah, or I come in the name of Christ, or I represent Jesus, don't believe them, they don't. They don't represent me. There's going to be people who are going to point out to you, man, there are wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters. Those are not signs of my returning. It's not that amazing because I have people come to me all the time saying, you know, preacher, we're living in the end times. I'm like, how do you know this? Because of all the wars, because of all the natural disasters. I'm like, do you not read the New Testament? He says those aren't signs. There's disasters all the time. Last week there was a hurricane hit Florida. Last month, fires in Hawaii. We get earthquakes, tsunamis, and there's always wars. It's, it's always. He says, that's not the end. He says, those are the birth pains. The birth pain, the, 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 the pain of birth, that signifies the beginning. He said, and in the end, this is just normal life. He says, some people are going to say, oh, we're being, we're being persecuted. He said, people, there's going to be tribulation. And the minute we read the word tribulation, people's minds go to the end of the, you know, what they think the great tribulation. We Americans have never suffered persecution. Tribulation is persecution. Comes from a word that means to be pressured, to put pressure till it bursts like a, a balloon. We, so, what do Americans do when we, in the end times? Because we've never experienced persecution as Christians, we think, well, we're going to have to miss it somehow. How do we miss the end, all that persecution? <laughs> You're not. Because Christians have always been persecuted except for one group. In the history of Christianity, only one group of people have for a prolonged period of time not experienced some first form of persecution. That's Americans of the last 300 years. You know, all over the world today, Christians are persecuted, put to death for their faith. Not us. He said persecution isn't a sign of it. He said, let me give you the only sign. There's only one sign that you can mention that Jesus gives us. Verse 14, he tells us what it is. New Living Translation. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, the gospel, so that all the nations will hear it. The word nation is not geopolitical, but people group. That's what it means in the Bible all the time, people group. And then the end will come. When will the end come? When people hear the gospel? When the whole world, or enough of it, satisfies Jesus, has heard it? 
You want to know when the end's coming? Well, go preach the gospel of Jesus. That's why after the resurrection, Jesus said, go be disciples, go be witnesses. He then goes, you know, for the next few verses, he talks about answering the very first question about the destruction of Jerusalem. Don't have time to go into it. I wish I did. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the city. He talks about the abomination of desolation. And, and, and Daniel talks about that in his book. And in 168 AD, BC, uh, a, a Greek ruler came into the temple, slaughtered a pig, desecrated the temple. It led to a massive Jewish revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. In the same way, he says at the end, there's going to come someone into the holy city and they're going to desecrate it. And when the Romans came in to the holy city in 66 BC AD, it began the desecration of the city and of the temple. And they destroyed it all. He said, when you see that coming, leave. If you're in Jerusalem, get on the roofs and run. If you're out in the fields, run. Better hope it's not in winter. Better hope it's not pregnant. Man, we got a lot of pregnant women here. You would not do good at the destruction of Jerusalem. Don't, you don't want that to happen, man. Even the Christians won't be exempt. The Romans, when they surround, they let people leave until they surround the city. And then they destroyed everybody in there. They destroyed the temple. It was a disaster. And it wiped out the Jewish religion, wiped out their system, wiped out the city, wiped out the temple. All of it destroyed for good. It was God's judgment upon the people of Israel, upon the Jewish religion for not following Jesus. He said, all that's going to happen. And then he begins to talk more. They said, the only thing you really need to know is at some point, he talks about verse 29 and 30, and he uses really descriptive language. And there again, be careful, because he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. And people say, well, you know, we've got to look at the heavens. You know, there was a, a weird moon the other night, Thursday night, that, that weird moon. And I know there are people saying, that's the sign of the coming of Jesus. No, it's not. It's a sign of werewolves, maybe, but not the coming of Jesus. <laughs> Some of those people look like you could be werewolves. That's a good night for you, man. No, no, no. He said, that's not it. And, and, and here's what he says in verse 34. It's an amazing verse. He says this, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He talks before this about the son of man coming. Just like you know, in Acts, visible, historical. All that's going to happen. He said, this generation. Now, this is, a, this is, I talk about compressed time. This is hard because we're looking at this thinking, well, they didn't all see that. I mean, there was the destruction of Jerusalem, fine, but it's been 2,000 years and he hadn't come. How does this generation experience that? And some people think it means the generation means the church, but that's not what generation means. It means a group of people. I come from a particular generation. I was born in a certain age. There's certain things my generation has experienced. Like we, we, you know, we grew up in a certain kind of world. We experienced phenomenal great music that you've never experienced since. This generation doesn't know what music is. You know, we experienced great movies in the 70s like Jaws. had The Godfather. We had Rocky. We had Animal House. We had all these great movies that we like. That's my generation. Every generation is different. He says you'll experience this. That doesn't mean they'll experience all of it. So here's what it means. Since the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple begins the process of his return, and it's looked at one compressed event, those who, that generation who experienced the coming of Jesus is so because they experienced the destruction of the temple. For instance, at the cross, we talk about the fact that when Jesus was crucified, the resurrection was guaranteed. The cross, the death, points to the resurrection, even though it didn't happen immediately. The destruction of Jerusalem points to the coming of Jesus. They will experience that. And then he gets to the verses we're going to look at as he continues to answer when he's going to come. 
He's talked about, he's talked at the end of the age. He's talked about um, destruction of Jerusalem. He's talked about a second coming. He's going to talk about the end of the age. He says on verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows. No one knows. No one knows. Not the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. She says, I don't even know. On earth, he didn't know. In heaven, he knows. He said, well, I'm here. I don't know when I'm coming back. Father hadn't told me. So if Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, why do people think they know when he's coming back? Why do we waste so much valuable time trying to figure it out? People all the time, Pastor David, David, tell me when you think the Lord's coming back. David, tell me when you think this is going to happen. I had no idea. Jesus didn't know. Why am I worried about it? No person, including Jesus, has ever or will ever know when he will return. No person, including Jesus, has ever or will ever know when he returns. In the mid-80s, there was a book entitled 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. In 1989, there was a second edition that came out. And I remember thinking, well, if he was going to come in the 80s, he's not coming now. But we were saying, but, you know, the, the staff I was on, we were talking, why, why would you waste? Why would you absolutely fly in the face of Jesus? Why would you basically call Jesus a liar by saying you figured it out? What a colossal waste of time and energy. Let me tell you something. Knowing the date of his return is not important. It's not important. It don't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And there I went and quoted one of those movies I mentioned a while ago. It doesn't matter in returns. And, I, and I, this is what I know. Some of you, though, are not listening. And, and as soon as this service is over, what you're going to want to do is come up and ask me, David, when do you really think he's coming? Because you just can't help yourself. Verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man, that is Jesus, was just like the days of Noah. The days of Noah, the flood, was a time of judgment. The days of Noah was a judgment of God. The coming of the Son of Man, when Jesus returned, it's a period of judgment. I'll talk about that in a few weeks. Good and bad. I mean, it's not all, all judgment, it's not bad, it's good and bad. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In the days of the flood, they, it, Noah was building the ark. It took a long time. This was not a short project. This was not like God coming to Noah. Noah, it's September 3rd. You think you can get this ark wrapped up, say, on the 10th? And I was like, no, man, I got some labor problems. I got a shortage. I can't find certain animals. Don't even know where the unicorns are. I mean, you know, we're debating about snakes. I don't think so. It took decades, decades. And the whole time, people saying, Noah, why are you building an ark? Uh, flood's coming. Ah, it ain't Noah. Until the day into the ark. They did not understand until the flood came. Oh, then they knew. It took them all away. So it will be when the Son of Man will come. That's how it will be. It will be that way to come. So then, even to this day, we tell people about Jesus. And, we, and one of the good things about the second coming is we can warn people, but they don't believe. They don't believe. They don't believe. He gives an illustration of what will happen. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women at the grinding mill, one will be taken, one will be left. I mean, people will be living life. All of a sudden he comes, they're taken, there's separation. And then they'll know. Verse 42, he says, therefore, in light of all this, be on the alert. Get ready. You don't know which day the Lord is coming. You don't know. I don't know. But live every day like he might come. And he gives a great illustration in verse 43. Be sure of this. If the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. 
And he went up and allowed his thief to break into his home. If you know a thief's coming, you're not going to let him come in. A couple of, sometime in the summer, a couple of times he got broken into. And the second time he got broken into the office, it's about four in the morning. Joe calls me. I'm up here. The police are here. I'm with Joe. We're in the parking lot. Police are doing a great job. One of the off- they get broken into an office, either mine or Brian's. And when they're finished, they come out and they say, and they broke into Brian's office. We're all going, ah, man, poor Brian. Ah, poor Brian. I felt bad. I said, I hate it for Brian again. But deep down, I'm saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, it wasn't my office. <laughs> then broke into the music guy's office. There's nothing important in there. It don't matter what they take. It doesn't even matter if he shows up. We can go on without him, man. No thing. Had Brian know they were going to break into his office to seal those guitars, he'd have been waiting there with a gun. Probably would have called Troy because that would be Troy's day. And the two of them together would have just had it. It would have been like justified all over again, man. It would be great. Verse 44. For this reason, because of all this, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think he will. He's going to come when no one thinks he's will. It's a big promise, mate. Hey, Jesus. When is all this going to happen? When you coming back, Jesus says, let me tell you something. When the temple's destroyed and Jerusalem is destroyed, that's a sign. Take it seriously. That at some point I will come after the gospel has been preached to all the world. I'm going to come. In the meantime, quit trying to figure it out. Just be ready when I come. Second thing I want you to see is that Jesus keeps his promises. He does. A few years back, I was in a conference, Andy Stanley was preaching. Andy Stanley is the lead and founding pastor of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, the largest church in America. He said, if a man can predict his death and then predict his resurrection and pull that off, you ought to believe everything he tells you. And I thought, that is brilliant. That's amazing. So true. If a guy can predict his death and resurrection, then do it. Why wouldn't you believe him? Let me tell you what Jesus promised. Jesus promised he would come back. Now, you know, that's not really up for debate in Christianity. Most people, yeah, we all believe that. So what happens after that? That matters. Let me tell you this. The return of Jesus gives hope and encouragement to the followers of Jesus. I didn't talk about this much, but one of the things that the return of Jesus does is gives hope and encouragement. Now, as Americans, that doesn't speak to us much. When I was working on my doctorate, we were dealing with a seminar on the last things. There was a guy there who pastored in Russia. And uh, this was after the Russian, you know, the communism had fallen. But he said, listen, you guys in America, all you worry about is whether or not you're going to suffer persecution or how much longer the millennium is going to last and will you be a part of it. He said, for us, the return of Christ, we suffered so much. The return of Christ was just a message of hope and encouragement. Jesus is coming to set things right, man. So listen to me carefully on this next point. Don't focus and obsess on the date and condition of his return. You ain't going to get it right. He just says you're not going to get it right. Why are you arguing with Jesus? You're going to argue with Jesus. Try to figure it out. Stop doing that. Instead, prepare for his return the way he instructs us. How does he instruct us? He tells us things like love God, love other people. He tells us, hey, go make disciples. You know, but after the resurrection, before he leaves, go make disciples. That's what I want you to do. Hey, but I shared with you in the whole series in, in uh, Acts over the summer. Hey, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be witnesses. That's a pretty good idea of what we ought to do. See, people who need Jesus don't know Jesus. And when he comes back, everything's going to be set straight. Or when they die, it's all going to be set straight. It's too late. 
So understand this then. To be ready for the return of Jesus, we must follow Jesus and share his message with others. You want to be ready for his return? Yeah, I want to be ready. Quit trying to catch the date. Quit trying to figure it all out. Here's what you do. Follow him. Worship him. Love him. Serve him. And look at the people all around you and share Jesus with them. I remember when I was in high school in the 70s, you know, our, our youth group leaders, God bless them. Uh, they were good people. They still are, but they were so wrong with so many things. They kept telling us all these different times, Jesus will probably come by this date or that date. And I'm like, man, I don't want Jesus to come yet. I'm just 16. I got things I want to do. And now I'm 62. I'm like, hey, okay, well, whatever. It's good. You know? The last service, they really didn't care. I mean, I'll be honest with you. They were like, yeah, he's late right now, right now. He should have been here. Yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> it's been a while. I'm back. There are people I know that don't know Jesus, and I don't want him to come yet. I want him to hold off a little bit longer, because there are people I love that need Jesus. And the only thing I can really do to get ready is to share with him the gospel. And I'm probably not, I'm not really doing a very good job. I'm like, I got two more services after this. Jesus, could you at least wait till like 1.30? Because there's people in these two services coming up that need you. Let me share with them. I began this message saying that the issue isn't really whether or not Jesus returns, but are we ready? Are you ready? You don't get ready by trying to predict it. You get ready when you trust Christ as Savior. And you get ready when you share others the story of Jesus. Some of you today need Christ. You need to turn your life over to Jesus. Why don't you do that? Quit worrying. I mean, when he comes, it's not good news for you. If you die before then, it's not good news for you. So give your life to Jesus. Trust him. You don't have to understand it all. Just trust him. And those of you who are followers, you know people who need Jesus? Focus on that. Hey, I'm going to tell you, the second coming is a good incentive for people to trust Christ. He's coming one day. Trust him. Yeah, it's a good message. I'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But you know they need Jesus. So we're going to be standing here. If you've never trusted Christ, you can come. If you want us to pray with you, you can. Ladies, there'll be another woman here. You can come up and, and they'll, be, they'll be here. You can pray or talk to them. But listen, I don't know what you need to do. I don't. I know this. As you walk out these doors today, Jesus is coming. Oh, yes. Someday. Be ready. Father, we thank you for the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior, of our Lord. We thank you for all that he means to us, and we thank you for the blessed hope that he will return and set all things right. Until then, we must live our life with every day anticipating his return. And we do that every day by following Jesus and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us do that for your glory. Let us do that for your honor. Let us do that so people will follow Jesus, who one day will set all things right. Amen. Would you stand and you come? We'll be here. We'll greet you.